0: This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate, and Hancock.
1: Hey, I'm David Schifrin. So this week's topic is sort of telehealth. MedCity News published an article slash advice column titled The Inconvenient Truth of Convenience. It points out that the remarkable convenience provided by telehealth can lead to negative consequences as well. Author Matt Dixon wrote, Unfortunately, convenience can be at odds with competence. Preference for convenient care often creates redundant care. An urgent care visit requires a transfer to the emergency room, end quote. And then he goes on to talk about other examples of this and what providers can do to limit those problems. So I was writing this article by some of my colleagues, and Yolanda James brought up her grandmother and then also the story about a woman in Alaska. The point of this podcast is to take a topic that we're looking at in our weekly newsletter, in this case, telehealth, that article, and then expanding the conversation to things that we can't really cover in those 600 words. I asked Yolanda to jump on the podcast because her stories fit that bill perfectly. While the question was ostensibly about how to use telehealth effectively, she shows throughout our conversation that that's not really the core issue. So before we get started, don't forget to share this podcast with a couple of colleagues. And then, of course, subscribe to all of our thinking by heading over to GerardInc.com forward slash pod. All right, Yolanda, so we're going to talk about telehealth. So it is like you're talking about access. You're talking about getting people to care and the best way to do that and figure out what communities need. Um, And this is like this should be the magic bullet, right? But... It looks good on paper, and then you start doing it or trying to do it. And there are so many problems. And it's not like this is a new topic. We're, right. what, 20 years in plus to some version of telehealth. Um, and this conversation is happening because we're looking at this MedCity News column about sort of the inconvenience and the the, the lack of co- – or the, the problems with competency that telehealth can create. Correct. And then um, additional news coming out earlier this week that something like, I think it was 430 different groups, and I don't know exactly what that means, but there are 430 groups that are pressuring Congress to make permanent all the telehealth rules that were implemented in during the pandemic. So it's just
0: And they should.
1: And they should. Right. There's all this, it's not just noise, there's a lot of activity around telehealth. And what we're saying, what this article is saying is like, hang on, this is good, but you got to make sure you're doing it right and you're not, not just... Blowing through a bunch of checkpoints, exactly. Um, so, like, what? Where? Where is it appropriate, and where is it not appropriate? And, and how do you help patients navigate that and get to care, whether it's virtual or in person?
0: Well, you're mixing two complex things, right? You're mixing healthcare. I thought you, you meant I was mixing people. complex things. Now, <laughs> you're mixing two complex things. You're mixing healthcare, and you're mixing people. So if you even have a successful telehealth appointment, you're right. What What is needed to make that a success? How will I, on the other end, the healthcare professional, know if you need something different, right? So we spoke about telehealth in rural communities and telehealth in minority communities and how that can be a good thing. I use my grandmother as an example. She did not want, and she's an extrovert like me, was an extrovert like me, but did not want anyone in her house. So this becomes a problem. She's in rural Georgia. She's older, she definitely needs the care. So we, our family had two choices. There were the times when we set her up with her own laptop and showed her how to do Gmail, and she was, a, she was a force to be reckoned with, and she could have those one-on-one conversations with her primary care physician. And then there were those times when we, being the family that we are, had to take off work uh, and and drive to that rural area and take her to those doctor's appointments um, and and ask those right questions and get her, push her to ask those right questions so that we could make sure when we left, we had answers. And it was... A little bit of a sad story because we were able to connect with primary care. They knew her and had known her in the community for a very long time. So they knew um, her high blood pressure issues, her cholesterol issues, diet, all those kinds of things. Um, So they knew her well enough to be able to push and say, "Mm, you sound a little funny today or "Mm, I don't don't like that tone to your voice. Why don't you please come in? And then we would have uh, family members who were in town come in or if it was a bigger procedure or something that we thought would be coming up. We would then take off work and and take her there. So it was a matter of working with those providers. And so when she liked what they said on screen, I'm on it. That sounds great. If she didn't like what they said, (laughs) that's when we would get the call from (laughs) (laughs) from someone, you know, because we knew people in the community. It might be a nurse there. They would say to the doctor, right? Hey, do you, do you know her family? Can you just get them on the phone? We need to bring them in. I also had an experience when I was pregnant with uh, telehealth, where there was a blizzard because my child was born in, a, in an urban area, uh, and there was a blizzard. And I'm on the screen with my midwife, and I'm telling her, you know, I just can't, I can't keep anything down. But I think it's just you know, just going through something. But uh. I thought I should call you and let you know there's five feet of snow outside and, you know, I can't drive. And she says, Yolanda, I said, yes, you're in labor, (laughs) to which I argued with her. She says, I've been doing this for 22 years. You're going to hang up. You're going to call 911 and you and your husband are going to grab that bag and you're going to head out the door into the snow, and I'll be here when you get here. Look, I'm trying to argue with someone. But again, it takes that person, that provider that we all know and trust, right? Studies have shown that doctor or that nurse that has that relationship to push you and say, no, I know what you need. And it's this.
1: Yeah. So what would have happened with either, change up the scenario a little bit, either with you or your grandmother, you call in to a telehealth service, and you get matched up with a clinician who you've never met before mm. um, because what you're describing with again in both situations but particularly yeah. your, your grandmother the telehealth was an access point that allowed everyone to build trust with your grandmother and right. there's some ups and downs with that but it was a trust building uh channel it
0: was yeah but incredible credibility and
1: credi- yeah so so it was just another way to deliver care but then if you're coming in cold with somebody what happens there
0: Oh, if you're coming in cold, I, I,
1: like, would you? I mean, I don't know. But let's make it personal, right? Would you have? How far would you have argued with random nurse midwife as opposed to I would have your argued
0: all day long? Nurse. And I'm in healthcare. Well, I'm in I'm in healthcare communications and consulting. I would have argued all day long. I, and and I come off as this really maybe I picked it up from my grandmother. Come off as this really nice (laughs) Southern woman. Uh, But then when you're telling me things I don't want to hear, I am quick to push back. I try to push back and I almost kind of, you know, I kind of go into this Barack thing where I'm like, well, let me tell you, this is, (laughs) I know me and I'm a black woman and you're not. And this is what I need. So it's great to have those providers that, that can push me because you're right. If a random person, a random nurse had picked up that phone, what would have happened I don't know, with five feet of snow outside. I'm sure she would have eventually persuaded me. No, lady. You got to get <laughs> out of there. You know, um, that's a great point. And it goes back to the story I shared with you of the care providers in Alaska. You know, Alaska, yeah. that, that's a particular community. It's rural. That's also a, a particular culture.
1: Ex- explain that story. Uh, sure. be, because I, that also ties in to this article of, of appropriateness of care Mm -hmm. where, and again, this article talks about um, handoffs, where if you start adding all these extra steps, you're adding steps. And maybe in certain circumstances, it may be a good continuum where it's a natural way to sort of escalate as necessary. But in other cases, it can be a problem because you're just creating more referrals and more Mm -hmm. handoffs for the records. So anyway, but when you're talking about ultra rural Alaska...
0: Ultra rural Alaska, and you also have to know the culture. And of course, I've never been to Alaska; I didn't know the culture. But very much, not dramatic folks. So you're you're there, and you're in a rural environment, and you're with people who just uh, have that pioneering spirit. They just pick up and go. And a woman was on the phone with uh, like an emergency care service, uh, telehealth service, and the nurse said to her, "What what's the problem? What seems to be the issue?" And she can't see the woman's hand, and the woman says, "Oh." Well, I thought I'd call you. I'm bleeding my thumb. It looks really bad. Um, and I'm putting pressure on it. And I have, you know, a, a first aid kit, but nothing's working. Something about the woman's tone that the nurse tuned into, right? And that comes from years of experience, not knowing this woman, but just years of experience and knowing that particular area. And she said, ma'am, if you don't mind, could you just put your hand up to the, up to the screen? Let me see it. And she's like, oh, it's just a minor cut. She puts her hand up to the screen, David, and her thumb is literally about to come off. Like, there's blood gushing everywhere. Like, the, she's got paper towels around it. And, and she says very calmly, nothing's working, see? <laughs> so now this provider has to keep her calm tone and say, yes, I see that nothing's working. Let me uh, get an ambulance to your area really quickly that can get you to me because that, that needs stitches, ma'am. But to the woman, it was like, you know, hey, I'm trying to fix it. I just called you to – if we could, like, talk through it maybe. I got a first aid kit here.
1: So I guess two things. There's, As communities think about how to provide the best continuum of care and and work with providers or providers work with communities to try to develop the appropriate uh, continuum of care in an area – and then also as telehealth companies are thinking about how to build out their services to provide that and provide a good referral system and not sort of put it, make telehealth into something that it shouldn't be. What do providers need to be thinking about in those terms? And, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective because you, you have a, a background in your, your previous roles um, watching and, and working with telehealth and just watching the innovation that's happening in the space. So what are the, like, what, are the, what are the potential pitfalls maybe?
0: Potential pitfalls, and I think all the successful telehealth companies out there are fully aware of it, is thinking that you know the answer and thinking that one size fits all. And unlike more traditional healthcare models, I find that the tele again, the telehealth companies that are doing it the right way, that are being really successful, understand every single patient, every single experience is going to be different. Then they're working with those providers and asking those providers questions before they create that app, that telehealth service to say, does this look right? Does this feel right? How do you feel on this side of the screen? How do you think your patients, whether it's a patient you have or one that you, or complete stranger, how would they react? They're basically taking the community health needs assessment and they're assessing not only the patients, but if they're smart, they're assessing their workforce because you're going to need them to be successful.
1: Is that is that different than a way uh, a brick-and-mortar provider would approach it or or how they do approach it?
0: I think brick-and-mortar is more traditional, right? It's been a model that's worked or not worked, depending on your viewpoint, for, for decades. And I think that when you're coming up with anything, technology, you're trying to get us closer to – the choices we want in healthcare. You're trying to get us closer to the solutions to improve lives. So I think you're just thinking in a completely different way. When you look at a brick and mortar and wall situation, I am walled in. I have to leave this hospital. I have to leave this facility to get to know folks. And so when you're sitting there with technology, your brain is already everywhere, right? Ping, ping, I got an idea. You're popping like popcorn. So you've got to be intentional
1: about remembering that you have...
0: Digital walls. Yes. I think you just have, have to, to remember that. You have to leave the inside of the hospital walls to go out and have all these conversations and bring all this back to figure out how we can help or how we can move the needle forward or, or what we can do.
1: Close on that, that thought then. So come you, you come back into the hospital or into your digital space, whatever it is you're, you're building. Out. So thinking about this in the context of our marketing and comms friends, what do they do next how do they create the communications materials and philosophy to help people go through that continuum of care appropriately in a way that builds trust? Like, what, let me ask a shorter question What's the role of marketing comms <laughs> in all of this?
0: Let me think about that as a great question. That's what you say when you're stalling and thinking.
1: It's good. I can, I can edit out.
0: Thanks. I always think about our clients and think that they have. So many, whatever you want to call them, cheerleaders, champions, advocates, soldiers on the ground. They have so many inside and outside the hospital walls. So how can these people help you share this story? How can the Marcon group connect with those people who can help you share share the story, right? Because if I see a billboard or if I see, uh, if I get the newsletter in the mail, the news magazine in the mail, it it, it means something more to me when it's not just stock images, when it's got someone uh, that looks like me, that represents me. It almost makes you do a pause, right? Mm-hmm. You can put up a great ad and but but think about your community. If it's in a rural area, then think about who you're going to put up there. You probably don't need uh, a smiling twenty five year old that's pregnant, right? Because all of my patients are, you know, sixty five and up. Um, so I think you have to always keep your keep your people in mind. and and Marcom people are perfectly equipped to do that. They know that hospital. They know the the cheerleaders inside those walls. And they probably have some great stories, of the cheerleaders outside. Heck, they could be one. Right? They've probably received care at this place that, that signs their checks. So I think you have to you have to remember to include those people in whatever marketing campaign you have.
1: Well, thanks, Yolanda. You're fun.
0: welcome.
1: Podcast debut.
0: This was so much fun. I really enjoyed my podcast debut. It's like uh, yeah. So hopefully I'll be back one day. But yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll fun another topic.
0: All right.